Hello and welcome to the latest Safer West Mercia podcast. My name is John Campion and I'm the West Mercia PCC. Um, and very warm welcome to, uh, to our latest in the series of uh, Safer West Mercia podcast. I'm joined uh, by two uh, guests and I'll ask them to introduce themselves and, and the organisations that they uh, come from. Uh, Karen? Hi, yeah, my name's Karen. Um, I am a restorative justice area coordinator. So um, between myself and my colleague, Andrea, we facilitate restorative justice uh, throughout West Mercia. Um, I've worked for victim support for about 11 years. Um, I managed the witness service in Worcester for seven of those years, but I've spent the last three um, delivering restorative justice. Excellent. And I know we're going to get into that a little a little later on because there are some listeners that might not fully understand what restorative justice is, but uh, a very, very warm welcome. And Chris? Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Hodson, the Senior Operations Manager for Victim Support. My responsibility is to manage overall operational provision for victim support across West Mercia. Uh, I've been with victim support for 10 years now um, in a few different roles. Um, and also outside of victim support, I am a psychotherapist. I work with predominantly sexual violence and domestic abuse. Excellent. So uh, some really uh, you know, interesting um, backgrounds and uh, and the roles that you do, which we which we will get get into. So, um, in terms of the services that victim support provides, um, it, it, it is it is uh, the, the the title is very broad, isn't it? But there are uh, some amazing specialisms and and indeed uh, breadth of, of offer um, with, within the service. So, um, just to expand a little bit, uh, Chris, maybe around the services um, that the the charity does provide. Yeah, so locally in West Mercia, we're commissioned by yourself to provide ongoing support that may look like uh, helping people to cope with their emotions by developing healthy, positive coping strategies. We help to build confidence, self-esteem and support networks. We advocate for victims, so championing their voice and ensuring that it's heard within the criminal justice process. We um, ensure that victims have access to their rights, so making sure that they're aware of the victim's code and they, they do access those rights. Uh, we can photograph visual evidence when a victim isn't ready to report to police and actually store that on file for up to six years until somebody is ready to report or maybe feel safe to do so. Um, and then also we've got the Restorative Justice Service. Is that, um, that uh, advocate for somebody who might not either have the ability or confidence to advocate for themselves is, a, is quite a powerful a powerful thing because I think the public might look at something like uh, victim support and say, well, actually, they are offering a service to the individual in the traditional sense, whether it be therapy or, or something being downloaded. But that ability to advocate, to give the voice to somebody who might not have one is a is quite a is quite and can be quite a powerful one in the in the world of DA. My experience has been commissioner in that the that those victims and survivors find that um, that advocacy a, a really powerful one. Massively, you know, the criminal criminal justice process is a huge huge area, huge big wide world that people get lost in. So actually, for us to be able to advocate for them and ensure that their voice is heard and like you say for people that aren't able to do that for themselves to be able to do that on their behalf it's just very very powerful and uh, giving giving voice uh, to those that might not have one empowering 
those that might have become a victim or a survivor um, has uh, is, is very important to me, but also very important to uh, to victim support. And uh, one of the things we're talking about today uh, is restorative justice. And as I alluded to earlier, uh, there are some listeners that might really know not know what it is. They they know what the two words mean, but they don't know all necessarily what it is and it, and it is a an area that um, uh, is maturing is probably the best description I've got um, I've got for it so uh, Karen is it is it worth you just talking a little bit about um, what restorative justice is you know what kind of things would be involved and and, and, and the why really huge question I, I absolutely <laughs> get it's a very complex subject but it'd be just useful to hear your your summary of that of those bits Okay, so, well, in a nutshell, restorative justice is basically the process of opening up communication between a victim or a person that's been harmed and their offender or perpetrator or the person that's caused the harm. So it's very much victim-led. And although when we're facilitating processes, we are completely impartial um, and we strive to achieve positive outcomes for both victims and offenders, Um, it's very much centred around meeting the needs of a victim. So it's opening up communication so victims have a voice, basically. Um, So there's several ways we can do this. We can do um, the face-to-face conference, which I think is most commonly what people think about when they think of restorative justice. So this is um, a facilitated and guided discussion in a room between victim and offender about what happened and the impact of what has happened. Um, We can do written communication. So this might be an apology letter from an offender to a victim um, or um, sharing the impact of the victim um, to the offender and then having a response from that offender. We can also do shuttle, um, what we shall call shuttle communication, which is basically passing messages between victim and offender um, to get answers, sharing impact, things like that. That that concept of um, empowering uh, a victim who's had something done to them without being, you know, asking for it, that empowering about the why I've heard from victims and survivors to be quite a strong um, empowerment tool. Um, It's something they hadn't asked for, but it has happened to them. So therefore the understanding the why and giving it some uh, context is, I've heard, has been really, really um, powerful. Um, it, in terms of getting justice for the individuals, is this sometimes um, survivors that might not have had a criminal justice outcome, or is it only for people that have uh, have had a judgment uh, through the courts? Um, we we deal with restorative justice um, with regards to crime. So the cri- there has to be an identified offender. There has to be a crime um, committed. Not necessarily something that an offender has been charged with. Um, RJ can be used very low level with out-of-court disposals as part of that process. Um, or it can run, a, run alongside the actual criminal justice process. We find a lot of victims still end up with questions if... Um, if it goes to court and then the offender pleads guilty, so they haven't gone through that trial process, so they haven't had answers to their questions, they haven't heard what's actually happened. So that is usually a time when when victims come away feeling that they haven't had justice because they still not they don't feel any different. They still haven't had the answers to their questions answered. So so, yeah, it can be used alongside um, criminal justice process at any point. Um, 
like I said, from out court disposal to 20 years later after after it's after it's happened and it's been to court. Because that was one thing that was uh, I, I was very keen to understand as commissioner was the um, uh, it, it's not a, it's not an alternative to justice. It is no. actually giving greater justice to, 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 to the victim by the empowerment and, and the issue you mentioned around a guilty plea. Um, I think is often not understood the full implications of because it might spare the victim a, the trial trauma, as it were, but it also robs them of the of the knowledge that they might otherwise um, ha- have have got from the process of the trial. And um, I, I I really love that empowerment through uh, through information and the ability to move on with lives following that empowerment uh, being being a uh, being also very very important. Um, linking in with the wider um, uh, services that can be provided to victims to cope and recover, um, we have to manage sensitively the role of the perpetrator in all of this and in no way um, uh, devalue the role or the outcome for the for the victim. How, how in this process um, do we ensure we capture um, the needs of the victim but also uh, that there is benefit to the perpetrator in terms of changing their behaviour, but never at the cost of what the what the victim should get out of it. How do you manage those two, sorry, with a, with a slightly uh, <laughs> obscure question? Um, there, well, there's a lot of preparation work that goes into a restorative process. Um, and like I said before, it's very much based around the needs of the victim. Um, RJ is voluntary, so both parties have got to want to do it. And I think that makes a massive difference um, from the offender side of things. Um, often fender, offenders aren't faced face to face, you know, with the impact of what they've done. And I think hearing it firsthand from a victim can be very, very impactive on an offender. Um, you know, gives them the opportunity to apologise and along with the victim sort of come up with ways of positively moving forward and repairing some of the harm that they have caused. Um, it has proven to reduce reoffending, so we can see that it has a positive impact on, on offenders as well as, as well as victims. I'm a, uh, I'm a proud uh, supporter of uh, restorative justice as commissioner and uh, um, I especially like it as an addition to the suite of tools that are out there um, in terms of both uh, tackling perpetrating behaviour but also supporting uh, victims. What's your take, uh, it's an unfair question again, uh, in terms of the maturity of it being embedded into our into our way of lives? It's not been around in the grand scheme of things a very long time and uh, and indeed isn't always widely widely known. Uh, what's your take on, on, on how embedded it, it is? Um, do you want to take this, Chris? Well, I would just say I think it's such an extremely powerful process. And when I started managing the service, Two years ago, what I wanted to do was feel the impact of it. So I sat in on a conference with Karen and in all of my years of doing this work, within in, in 10 years of working in a support environment, one-to-one with clients, counselling, psychotherapy, group work, everything that I've done in, in, throughout my 10 years, I've never felt something so powerful as this because the power it had, not only for the four victims that were sat in the room that had had their cars damaged, but for this young boy, this young lad, this 17-year-old, sorry, 18-year-old, who he, he'd had his own struggles in life and was very open about these struggles and the and what he'd experienced throughout his years. 
the power in that room was was just like nothing else. They kind of wanted to look out for each other and to the the, the, the victims wanted to support him and to they wanted to see him right and to see him get on the right path. And for me, there's nothing more powerful than that. So, you know, I think I think it's something that we need to really develop. I think it's something we really need to focus on because ultimately it's ensuring that everybody involved has take plays their part in the recovery of it. And I think that is what is key here. I mean, we've had some really, really great results. Uh, for example, we've had a, a, a volunteer apprenticeship apprenticeships given to young people as a result of our J2, people that we were involving in the process as an offender walked away with apprenticeships as a result and were able to actually look at what they wanted to do for the rest of their life and start to question, you know, what do you want from your future? And I think maybe for the first time, somebody that maybe didn't have the best teenage years actually got an opportunity to sit down with with a team and and think about what they want for themselves. And it honestly is just so powerful. Uh, yeah, some of the um, uh, elements around restorative justice from the perpetrator side, I have been told the um, the realisation of the impact of action is quite a powerful one. But the, the other one is around being listened to. And I know that sounds odd of where you're being held accountable for your behaviour, but the, the being listened to being quite a powerful, um, because of sometimes the background being as you describe, mm. um, but being listened to being quite an empowering um, motivator around changing or altering um, behaviours, harmful behaviours. Um, what if you were going to, uh, if you were going to say um, a way that we can magnify this? What would be? What do you think the biggest barrier is to uh, to mainstreaming it more, i.e., giving it to more opportunities, getting it uh, getting it out there more, and, and more people benefiting from the restorative justice? Chris, is there is there a certain insight that you'd say that we? That we as a society or the the, the PCC system or, or whomever needs to needs to be pushing for? I think probably the promotion of it, awareness. I mean, we we try our best. We're a very small team, the RJ team. The entire victim support team promote restorative justice as much as possible. But we are still a relatively small team in West Mercia. So it's the promotion of it really. And just making sure we've got the, you know, the 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 capacity to be able to deal with with with, with that. Uh, what do you think, Karen? Yeah, I, I agree. The the promotion of it, raising awareness, um, making sure that all victims of crime get the information about mm. restorative justice so they can make an informed choice themselves mm. as to whether it's something that they want to look into at some point. Might not be for everybody. And, you know, at the point where they're given the information, it might not be the right time. But further mm. down the line, it's always something they can come back to if they're struggling to move forward. You've hit the nail on the head for me around um, uh, victims, uh, supporting victims around um, um, in the past. I think the system has been a bit critical, a bit um, um, uh, bad at just give it. So you might be the most um, horrifically stressful time of your life and you get all this information. and You you might say, no, I don't want any support. No, I'm not interested in that. But it might be different the next day, the week after, month yeah. after, a year after. And as commissioner, I've tried to drive some of the behaviours that actually it's okay. You might not have wanted it on that day, but you do want it on that day. And empowering the ability to change your mind is a, is a is a good one. I use myself as an example. I think I'm a fairly strong individual, and I would like to think to myself I wouldn't necessarily need support, but I might feel differently once it's happened, or I might feel differently a month after. And I think we're not good 
as a system. And I know you guys are, are flexible at doing that, but I don't think the people interacting with the victims, the, the frontline practitioners in the CJS system or in the police are good at reminding people. You might have said no a month ago, but actually it's still it's still open to you. Um, we're reliant on you keeping the leaflet often, uh, yeah. which the which the services to victims have got to be a bit more bit more nuanced. Yeah, if we um, can get as many people down that line along that journey to give the information, then sooner or later they'll give it at the right time, and and it will be the right time for the victim to look into it. And we've seen some great um, we've seen some great process here in progress here in West Mercia. Um, I. Uh, we we do something called victims needs assessments or West Mercia Police do and uh, um, like all um, bureaucrats uh, as opposed to the commissioner is uh, we have a target around it for West Mercia Police to do and we're, we're nearly now up to one in four having that uh, needs assessment being done you know right at the beginning of the process and I see that as as one step on a, on a very complex journey but if, if, if I'm driving that behaviour then I think the the more nuanced approach to the individual rather than what the system says you can have and when you can have it, I think, um, it is, an, it is an important one. Yeah. Um, obviously, today we're, we're doing this virtually. Um, we uh, are all working different. Uh, a year since the um, uh, lockdown um, happened, we are um, uh, living our lives differently. Um, obviously, it would have impacted the way victim support works and the way restorative justice um, works. I'm just interested from both of you uh, how it's impacted and how how guy how you guys have had to had to respond. So, Karen, maybe maybe if you just want to outline um, how you've still made restorative justice work uh, during the pandemic. Okay, so we. Like I said, there's more than one way of doing restorative justice. So we've continued with our written communication work and our shuttle information work. Um, a lot of our is, is done face to face, so we've had to adapt slightly. But we've we've taken on you know virtual tools. So we have been doing virtual preparation sessions with victims and offenders. Um, we've done virtual conferences as well, which have worked really, really well. So it hasn't stopped the the use of RJ. Um, we've had to adapt slightly, but we've still been able to to do our RJ work. Uh, and what about Chris more generally around uh, victim support? Uh, uh, lots of people working from their kitchens and their uh, and others at the moment. So uh, how has it affected victim support more, more generally? Yes, it's similarly to the RJ team, really. Everybody working from home, as you say, kitchens, living room, desks, uh, just providing the telephone uh, telephone support and also virtually, so face-to-face, maybe over Skype. The only thing we've missed out on, really, has been that in, in-person, face-to-face support, which does really have its benefits. But fortunately, everybody is in, in the same position. We're all keeping ourselves safe at the moment. So, you know, it, it's equally that victims of crime at the moment that, you know, are that, that their preference is doing it maybe virtually or over the telephone. So, yeah, we've managed to provide all services. So not much has changed, really. But the, my team are raring to go. They all want to get back out there, start doing face-to-face work. So, you know, hopefully that will be soon. With the, uh, hopefully the uh, the mass vaccination, the roadmap they've set out, so like lots of parts of our society, that face-to-face element um, will be uh, not too far in the distant future. Um, if, if somebody's listening to the uh, to the podcast and, and are interested in this, might be suitable for them, or indeed somebody that they that they know of. Um, where best um, uh, should they uh, should they go to either find a bit more or to maybe take it um, forward? I, I don't know whether uh, Karen just wanted to outline where either they might be able to find some more information or or, or indeed know whether it is for them or not. 
Okay, so there's there's RJ information on um, the PCC website and on the Victim Support's main website. Um, you can contact your local Victim Support office um, and they could put you straight through to one of the RJ coordinators or take a referral. Um, if you're currently in, an, in a criminal justice process and you've got um, a police officer contact, you can ask them for information about it. So, so there are plenty of areas where you can, you can find the information from. And uh, we will include uh, the, some of the links in, uh, in the description for this podcast uh, for those, those that do. Um, and I know that we're all different, aren't we? Um, if you were just going to distill it down to a few sentences to somebody that was umming and ahhing about it, Karen, what, what would be your what would be the thing that you'd leave in their minds in terms of either questions to ask themselves or or, or, or maybe the benefits or what would you what would you leave in their mind or, or try to get the question in their mind if they were thinking about it? Okay, so if you're a victim and you're struggling to move forward because you still have unanswered questions, main one being why, why me? Why did this happen? Um, then restorative justice could could be a good avenue for you. Similarly, if you're if you're a perpetrator or an offender and you're feeling remorseful, you want to apologise or try and repair some of that harm, um, then again, it could be something that you could look into. It, um, it, it, for me, the empowerment message to all of today's uh, podcast has been, I think, the, the most powerful part because um, there are lots of, um, I think, um, very um uh, mystical parts of getting justice through the criminal justice system and answers aren't always included um, in that and empowering individuals with answers and explanations as to as to why um, i think is a really really powerful one as a pcc i've had um, uh, victims and survivors at the center of my west mercy plan uh, and indeed um, what's right for them as an individual being a nuance of that um, I, I come to the job with a view that organisations shouldn't be dictating to individuals what they what they need. It's the individuals should be dictating to organisations what's right what's right for them. And uh, I, I'm proud to have been involved in in this particular type of work and uh, and uh, with you guys uh, to help make make that happen. Um, we we have to do more as a society to not only um, understand what uh, what we need as individuals, but also we need to do more in terms of making it available. And that means funding. That means altering the way we do things. That means our approach um, being uh, different. But what I have got some confidence in is that the conversation is moving on. Um, it's uh, it, it it is growing rather than stagnating. And and I think. Um, through the advocacy um, of the not only of, of the individuals but also the advocacy of the of the actual program from victim support, I think uh, you guys are a very good, um, uh, I think, uh, role model as to how we get the uh, get that journey, that conversation um, progress. Because I think it's only in the interest of victims and survivors that, that empowerment is part of their recovery um, uh, to cope, recover, and thrive after whatever has happened and the the powerful uh, reference from Chris of some of the uh, the smallest crime related or, or incident related all the way through to the most serious um, for me shows the flexibility of it so it's a huge great big thank you for me for joining today but even a bigger thank you for what you do for victims um, out there in terms of this particular work it's uh, all inspiring to be to be a partner with and it is a big thank you both for for joining and for and for doing that thank you for having thank us thank you thank you and uh, and thank you to our listeners uh, to uh, listening to today's uh, podcast um uh, as i mentioned uh, some links uh, how to find out more information 
um, are contained uh, within the description to this podcast um, or pop into your search engine um, at Victim Support or West Mercia PCC and there are uh, some further information there. Um, there is also uh, some further information uh, on the West Mercia Police's website um, and indeed there is the opportunity uh, to be able to uh, report crime uh, online um, on that website uh, and indeed um, the information for your local policing teams if there are uh, some concerns or others you want to talk to uh, sometimes uh, anonymously um, but my message to you is clear that there is always help uh, out there uh, please do uh, um, look at the different options available to you and choose if you feel confident and comfortable to do so to, to reach out and, and indeed um, that support uh, will be there. So uh, a big thank you for listening to the uh, latest uh, Safer West Mercia podcast.